Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Gee, Gavin, pretending you can't hear me because you had your headphones on doesn't really work when we're all patched into the same mixing board. Yes. The following podcast contains profanity, food jokes, and tired comedy references. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you couldn't even be bothered to take off your headphones to hear us ask a simple question, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 338, Got Me a Walkman, and they walked right in and solved them edition of the show, where we talk about the invention that changed how we listen to music forever, the Edison gramophone. No, I'm kidding. We're talking about the Sony Walkman. Stay tuned. The What the Hell We Think of podcast is brought to you by the Sumi Wantman, the personal cassette player for those of us who couldn't afford a Walkman. We all know the quality and incredible sound of the Sony Walkman, but we also know they're kind of pricey. Why pay more when a Sumi Wantman is basically the same thing for so much less? The Wantman plays cassettes, has headphones, and runs on batteries just like a Walkman. Admittedly, it's three times as large and sounds like you're playing your tunes inside a garbage can, but what do you expect for $100 less than a Walkman? The Sumi Wantman. Everyone knows you're poor because your mom can't afford you Jordash jeans, so just suck it up and get yourself a Wantman. From the noisy streets of New York to the laid-back tranquility of California, Americans are tuning out and tuning in. It's the latest fan, tiny stereo cassette players with featherweight headphones. It's caught on all over America, but nowhere as it has in New York, where more and more people are discovering that about the only space they've got is between their ears. In a manner of speaking, of course. You know, listening to Beethoven and walking in Manhattan, you know, walking on the streets is uh, it's pretty nice. As opposed to hearing the sirens that are going by and the jackhammers. Yeah. It just puts you in your own world all by yourself. It's like carrying your stereo with you, you know, <laughs> on, your, on your head. And it's like... Whether they wear pinstripes or no stripes, they're discovering that at least musically speaking, you can take it with you. About 750,000 people nationwide are doing just that. Everybody's buying the machines. Anyone from a wealthy executive uh, likes to spend his weekends out in a sailboat listening to uh, Beethoven, to the, the street kid listening to new wave music down in the subways. I think I've mentioned a time or two that my very first personal listening device was a console stereo the roughly the same size and shape as a coffin. A coffin? Yep. My parents transferred the wood panel monstrosity to me when they bought a stereo rack system in the early 80s, and I spent most of my time using it with a huge pair of headphones on a long cord, listening to music at a decibel range that would result in my current state of hearing loss. If it's too loud, you're too old. You know, I make jokes about that stereo, but it was actually a great system and had a kick-ass set of speakers, and Motley Crue sounded fucking 
awesome when blasted out of that faux mahogany monstrosity. But it wasn't exactly portable. Indeed, were it not for the military paying to move our uh, paying our moving expenses and sending burly dudes around to pack up our house every 18 months or so, that stereo would have been sold off or abandoned long before it came to me. But lucky for me, technology solved that problem just a few years before it became a problem for me personally. Do you understand a single word of what you just said? What I mean is, for years, people had a problem if they wanted to take their music with them. There had been small transistor radios for decades, usually with those thin plastic cords and a big white earpiece that you could wedge into your head hole, and they were fine if you were listening to a sporting event, but their sound fidelity was terrible for music. There were portable record players, but they were still constrained by the size of a 33 and a third record format because no one was using 45s by the time I was a kid, and they usually required a wall socket for power. There were portable tape players, including 8-track tapes, but they were bulky and power-hungry too, and as far as cassette tapes were concerned, they were smaller by comparison, but their sound quality was, uh... It kind of sounds like shit. There were boom boxes that were portable in the same way that suitcases are portable. And honestly, toting around a boom box might seem like there's going to be a dance party about to break out wherever you are. But in reality, what was mo most likely to break out was your back because the damn things weighed as much as a VW bug. But all of that would change in 1980. The story goes a little something like this. In the late 1970s, Japan was truly becoming a powerhouse of consumer electronics. Now today, of course, we take this for granted, but back in the 50s and 60s, Japanese products were the cheap Chinese knockoffs of their day. By the mid-1970s, however, Japanese imports and the Sony Corporation in particular were increasingly recognized as high-end products and even status symbols amongst the affluent. Great, what does this have to do with anything? It's called setting the stage, people. God, I am trying to be a good storyteller here. In 1978, Sony co-founder Akio Morita complained that he couldn't listen to his favorite music while playing tennis as the inconveniently large tape decks of the time impeded his ability to answer a strong volley from his opponent. You expect me to believe that? Okay. Then it was the other co-founder of Sony, Masaru Ibuka, who complained that he couldn't take his favorite music with him on the airplane as the inconveniently large boombox would not fit into the space underneath the seat in front of him. According to the New York Times story from 1999, quote, to please him, in November 1978, a Sony engineer named Shizuo Takashino began with the press man a Sony tape recorder popular among reporters. He removed the recording apparatus and speaker and added a stereo amplifier. The only real technical breakthrough was the development of the light headphones with their little sponge earpieces. You believe that? I believe that. And that's who invented the Walkman. Or did they? There's an entire other side of the story of who invented the Walkman that we could tell you about here but it's also one of those stories that I figured I should get a dollar for. So head on over to patreon.com slash what the hell podcast and pony up a buck to find out who really invented the Walkman. Or, you know, I guess you could just Google it. Whoever invented it, Sony now had a prototype of the very first Walkman. 
It is extremely difficult for me to explain to two generations of people who grew up in the long shadow of the Walkman how brilliant of an innovation it truly was. The cassette had been around for decades by this point, but it never really caught on for reasons I've previously mentioned. But the Walkman stripped down a cassette machine to the bare essentials by eliminating the ability to record on cassettes, which constituted the biggest part of the tape device. Without that, you just had a little motor that drove a single wheel that advanced the tape over the magnetic reader. You add a little miniature amplifier, a headphone jack, and you had yourself a lightweight portable music player for the very first time in history. Not that it was an instant hit, even with the other Sony executives. The sales department took one look at the tentatively titled Soundabout and had one reaction. What else does it do? Except, you know, they said it in Japanese. The cassette tape had a major drawback in the minds of music lovers when it came to sound quality. Well, you know. It sucked. There was a small market for professional music releases on cassette, but mostly it was used for recording. And this soundabout couldn't do the only thing that cassettes were actually good for. And nor were the executives exactly wrong. No one had any idea of what this new thing, which by now was named a Walkman, was for. Since, you know, it hadn't existed until now, and its initial release in Japan could be described as tepid, though the marketing department at Sony had a slightly different view on the matter. Total disaster! But, you know, they probably said that in Japanese. This is where Morita and Abuka's particular genius came into play. Both of them believed that if you build it, they will come. You feel what? Who will come? Which, of course, people wouldn't say at all because the movie Field of Dreams wouldn't be made for about another 10 years. So an entirely different approach was created for getting Walkman into the hands and minds of the Japanese consumer. An approach that was as innovative as the device it was selling. They would make the Walkman into a lifestyle. Quoting from Mental Floss, quote, In July 1979, the first month Walkmans were on sale, only 3,000 units were sold. In a controlled panic, Sony's marketing department decided that the Walkman experience was so singular that they would have to be aggressive. Japanese celebrities were recruited for print ads. Sony employees rode trains and patrolled busy pedestrian-packed districts on weekends, extending headphones so consumers could listen for themselves. No ad or slogan could really describe the unique experience of cutting the cord from elaborate home stereos. The Walkman had to be worn to be appreciated, unquote. Now, other products had done stuff like this before. Car brands and individual models of cars had long been marketed as lifestyle brands, basically from their inception. But no one would ever consider their washing machine as an emblem of who they were as a person. Celebrities were not wheeling their Zenith TVs down Hollywood boulevards just to be seen with one. But this was the dawn of the 80s, and people were ripe to be told that gadgets defined who they were as a person. I believe it should be named after Ronald Reagan. More from Mental Floss, quote, Sony's assertive plan worked. 27,000 units were sold in August, which depleted the company of its original 30,000 product run. Tourists returned to France, the UK, and the US with the devices, seeding the company's expansion plans. By as early as 1980, the Walkman was headed for America. 
sporting a stylish leather cover, it quickly became an, became an urban accessory must-have. Walkmans in New York became as pervasive as potholes, with users acknowledging one another on the street as though they belonged to the same fraternity. In their first mention of the Walkman on July 7th, 1980, the New York Times declared it as a status symbol. What the two well-dressed strangers first noticed about each other was that they were both possessors of the newest status symbol around town, the Walkman. It's just like a Mercedes-Benz owner's honking when they pass each other on the road. Andy Warhol told the Washington Post he preferred the sound of Pavarotti over blaring car horns. Beaches that had banned radios took no issue with the solitary nature of portables. The soundtrack of life could not only be changed, but muted, unquote. I can sense some of your eyes are rolling right now. You're angrily saying to yourself, Oh, come on, Dave, I'm not angry. But it's a Walkman! Some of you are probably even saying to yourself, Oh, goddamn, these boomers and Gen Xers are just willing to be led like a sheep to slaughter to the latest consumer device that just has, they have to be seen with. Yeah, yeah, it was like that. Not at all like in the early 2000s when every celebrity or wannabe celebrity had a sidekick or a Razor phones or a, how the first iPhones were the must-have accessory for all the cool people who did not need to just own an iPhone but had to be seen owning an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, it was like that, but this was the very first time. Walkman created a fashion trend and a music train. And it was a very strange thing to live through. And you know what? Actual Sony Walkmans were not cheap. The iconic blue and silver TPS L2 retailed in the States for $150. That's nearly $500 in today's money. How much is a Walkman nowadays? Everyone who was anyone had a Walkman and everyone who wanted to be someone wanted a Walkman. Needless to say, your humble pod host did not own a first-generation Walkman. Indeed, I don't think I ever owned an actual Sony Walkman at all. I owned one of the myriad copies that flooded the market in the years following its debut. The Walkman was a status symbol, but the personal cassette player or personal music device instantly became a cultural ubiquity, as common a sight as a smartphone is today. All of a sudden, everyone was inside their own private Idaho or whatever song you were listening to at the time. And from the prototype going forward, this was considered to be a major problem. The piece I quoted from early, earlier from the New York Times also included this little nugget, quote, the revealing part of Marita's tale regards the reaction when he took the prototype Walkman home. I noticed my experiment was annoying my wife, who felt shut out, he reported in his book. So he ordered an addition of a second headset jack and the orange button. Marita thought it would be considered rude for one person to be listening to his music in isolation, unquote. There were other reasons why the Walkman was considered controversial, because it didn't take long to discover that people who were zoned out on music only they could hear might be somewhat uh, distracted from the outside world. Ordinance banning their uses while driving a car or riding a bike were passed around the country and lurid tales of pedestrians being ran down by cars while grooving on their tunes filled newspapers. I mean, hell, I damn near got flattened by a car crossing the road while I was jamming a Judas Priest so loud that my ears were probably bleeding. And boy, did audiologists. Who are they? They're hearing doctors. Jeez, people, read a book. 
audiologist hated the Walkman, as they quite reasonably assumed that it wasn't a great idea for people, particularly young people, to be walking around blasting music directly into their head holes at an absolutely insane volume all the fucking time. You think it's random chance that just as Generation X, we who grew up with tinnitus as a side effect of our incredibly awesome fucking music, that when we're aging into our dotage, that over-the-counter hearing aids are just now becoming a thing? Oh, I don't think so. There's a cause and effect for your ass right there. But the idea that people with headphones listening to music only they could hear becoming isolated from the world around them, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically, also cropped up as well. They even gave it a name, the Walkman Effect, a term coined by a chap named Shuhai Hosokawa in 1984. The idea itself is very, very complicated, and I read... I didn't know so much read as I skimmed Hosokawa's article and it's very dense with a lot of words. But the idea is that how we listen to music changes how we interact with the world around us and not necessarily for the better. Wikipedia summed it up thusly, quote, the Walkman was the first of a long line of mobile devices to attract criticism for isolating its users, promoting narcissism, detachment, and rude behavior, while at the same time preventing interactions that are the basis for traditional place-based communities, unquote. Throughout human evolution, listening to music was a social activity. To be sure, there had always been private performances for the rich. And then with the advent of music technologies, we could sit at home getting totally baked while listening to Pink Floyd on a pair of headphones. But in general, there has always been a social interaction that came with music. The shared experience of listening to it, be it with one or two people in your family or a large gathering of people at church or a concert, music was experienced en masse. And increasingly, the consumption of music was becoming a matter of individual experience. Sure, you were listening to the same five fucking songs everyone else was listening to, but this way, you were listening to it all by yourself. Your experience of those same five shitty songs that everyone else was listening to was becoming highly individualized, tailored to your own experiences, location, expectations, and even mood while listening to those same five shitty songs. And with a Walkman, you could have that inner experience anywhere. You could literally tune in, turn on, and drop out wherever you were at the moment. And this bothered people. Design and technology journalist Phil Patton wrote about the Walkman effect in 2007, quote, Robert Nell, Sony's vice president in charge of audio products, said that the Walkman's achievement was that it provided listeners with a personal soundtrack to their lives. Designer Stephen Holt of the designs firm Frog Design, which provided Sony alternative designs in the early days of the Walkman, agrees. The Walkman, for the first time, provided ordinary people with a cinematic soundtrack for their daily lives. One result was that it brought the kind of spectacle to daily life and made humdrum activities feel cinematic. To some, it was a further sign, along with rock and roll and television, of the decline of civilization. 
Mr. Holt recalls hearing and reading the sentiment in the early 1980s that the Walkman fostered dangerous isolation and immersion. That immersion soon led to traffic laws forbidding drivers to wear the devices, lest they fail to hear a crucial horn or siren. Three, day, three decades ago, the sociologist Edward Hall introduced the concept of the space bubble, the culturally conditioned distance that dictates how close we stand to one another and how much space we need around us to feel comfortable. The Walkman might be said to have introduced another kind of bubble, the technological bubble of concentration and obliviousness of surroundings, a private space in public. Today, the streets are full of cellular telephone users enveloped in similar bubbles of communication and concentration. Palm pilots and other small digital devices have similar effects, but the Walkman was the first to show the psychological effects. Note how the mobile Walkman user boldly makes eye contact with other pedestrians as if somehow unconsciously reasoning that because you cannot hear what he is listening to, you also cannot see what he is looking at. And arriving at the beginning of the 1980s, the Walkman seems to have signaled the beginning of a time of introspection, even narcissism, unquote. And again, people were not exactly wrong about this. As you listen to this, probably via earbuds or earphones from your phone, take a look around and see how many other people have some kind of pod wedged in their head holes at the moment. Wow, that's, that's a lot. Every single person is in their own headspace and pretty much oblivious to everything and everyone around them. The idea of commuting on mass transit without the public privacy of an earbudded podcast bliss to me is personally fucking horrifying. If you take off your headphones, all of a sudden the guy who's been asking you for $2 to get home to North Carolina to see his dying mother for the past five years, his voice becomes crystal clear. Without my headphones, the articulate nuance of the subway godbotherer's homophobia and racism becomes suddenly inescapable. If I doff my headphones, the sound of my seatmate's personal listening choice on his headphones, which is apparently someone screaming in agony as they're slowly crushed in an industrial meat grinder set to a bass beat, becomes my personal listening choice as well. Every cough, sniff, fart, and groan suddenly swells and fills your entire soul, and yet the hideous screeching of a metal box on metal wheels on metal rails is still somehow amplified to some kind of horrible degree. And then, of course, there's the worst of all, the guy whose FaceTiming sounds any kind of private listening device with someone who is vividly describing a sex act they performed recently that is illegal in 12 states, and they're doing it in a suspiciously elevated volume as if they want the entire subway car to know that there were four angry pygmy goats and 37 gallons of custard involved in their carnal escapades. And if you could tolerate all that, then come the mariachi players. And when you see them coming, no matter what you think about personal isolation or the Walkman effect, those earbuds go right back in too fucking sweet. Growing up in the advent of a Walkman was both a curse and a blessing to my parents. To be sure, they were thrilled they did not have to experience the oral pleasure of Dawkins alone again. On 
a constant loop because I'd embarrass myself again trying to impress Jenny DeCello, who barely knew I existed. But they also had to deal with how their children could now conveniently ignore them by claiming they could not hear you calling me over my music. Kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? The Walkman put up a wall between the brains of people between them and the orange foam circles and the outside world and made it easy to stay inside those walls. Also, those headphones were a great way to tell the outside world to leave you the fuck alone by your refusal to remove them for any reason. This remains largely true today. Hell, the Walkman even spawned a new form of communication entirely based on the cassette tape. The mixtape is a podcast episode all by itself, but the short version is you can pretty much say everything from wow, you seem awesome to I love you, and finally, I want to break up with you and here's why, without ever actually saying the words because, you know, the other person couldn't hear you because they had their music on. Sure, people made mixtapes before, but the Walkman made them a universal language spoken only by young people and shared privately between them. And you know what? I mixed a fucking awesome mixtape back in the day. I mean, it's probably why I'm so good at this podcast thing. Today, the problems of the Walkman effect have pretty much consumed our society. The phones which dominate our attention and contain not just our music, but our entire lives are really nothing more than the perfected form of the Walkman. Stories say that Akio Morita himself gave Steve Jobs a first-gen Walkman back in 1980 and did Jobs pop a cassette in and groove to Blondie's Call Me? No, he did not. According to legend, he disassembled the device down to his tiny pieces to see how it was built. Ironically or not, it would be Jobs' answer to the Walkman that effectively killed off the Walkman two decades later. Our lives and our interactions with the world are shaped by the devices we use in our day-to-day lives. How many times have you been talking to someone only to discover they have a pod dangling from their ear and you have to figure out whether they actually heard a goddamn word you said at all? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. One of the biggest relationship complaints out there is how people's partners pay more attention to their phones than they do to them. And any parents with kids connected to a device knows it's simpler, simply easier to text said damn kids than yell for them when dinner's ready. You have to have a goddamn day taunt about using cell phones when you're dining out with people. Akio Morita's wife was right to be pissed when he brought home a prototype because that device would create a world where no one was paying fucking attention to anything other than the shiny thing in their hands or whatever was playing in their ears. So maybe this whole Walkman effect is pretty bad and a decent argument could be made that has made the world actively worse as a place to live. But you know, I I lived in the world before the Walkman and it was different, louder than the world today, if you can believe that, because the lack of a portable personal music device did not stop a lot of people from taking their music with them and sharing it with you, whether you wanted them to or not. Some still prefer last year's model, the radio that's about as big as the Empire State Building and as loud as World War II. Can you hear me, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, what do you think of the people who wear the headsets, you know, so that doesn't make a lot of noise and they only... What do I think? I don't know. I can say it's a different stroke. I can't hear you. Can you speak up just a little bit? I say it's different strokes for different folks. Different strokes indeed. In the midst of this serenade, there developed one of those mellow happenings that exemplify the sophistication for which New York is so admired. You bother a lot of people with that? Bother me. <laughs> Bothers the hell out of me. I think yeah, you're invading well. my life space with that damn thing. Yeah, I yeah. am. You are, really. Not only mine, but everybody else around here. Well, I ask everybody here. It's nice to know that music can bring serenity to people, that music hath charms to soothe the savage breast. It's really quite comforting. Well, uh, I can't take it anymore. Well, uh, I added up the hair, I life, can't take life, it anymore. Life is but a dream. Thank you, thank you. Mark Goldberg, CBS News, New York. Which is why I gotta say a hearty fuck you to the inventor of the Bluetooth speaker because now, now <laughs> we've got the worst of both worlds. Everybody is tuned into their fucking personal devices and somehow still fucking inflicting them on the rest of us. But I will tell you this much. There was... And still is a magic to slipping on those headphones or pressing in your earbuds and hitting play on a song. Just like in the patent article I quoted a few minutes ago, the ability to play a soundtrack to your daily life was something kind of miraculous when it was new. And to be honest, it still kind of is. Step out on the sidewalk, pop those pods in your ears and press play on whatever your generation's version of Katrina and the Waves are. Although, you should really just do it with Katrina and the Waves. And suddenly you're in your own movie and that's a fucking cool feeling. I felt that feeling in 1984 when I first heard that song in my Walkman clone long before I became the cliche it is, is today. And you know what? If I'm ever feeling a little down, I step outside, pop my earbuds in and play, play on that song. God damn, I still feel it today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That is it for our show this week. Kids today, I tell you. Nah, actually, I won't because I don't have any kids and the kids today are doing just fine because we share the same kind of pain when they thought they were going to get a brand new iPhone and I opened up my Christmas present to see a Philips personal cassette player. Yeah, I know it did all the same things as a Sony Walkman did for a third of the price, but people were going to notice it wasn't a Walkman. 
And I'm sure today kids to feel the same thing when they're thinking they're getting that next gen iPhone and have to use a hand down iPhone 10. I feel your pain, kids. I feel your pain. Speaking of feeling pain, rate and review the show wherever you get this show and it helps others find us to experience the same kind of pain that you do when you listen to us. All of my hand-me-down thoughts are on the social at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter, the show name on Facebook, and what the hell were you thinking pod on the Insta. All of our mixtapes for the past six years are kept in a clunky-ass cassette rack at whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave, she was searching for the writer of a song that made her shiver. She listened to her over and over on her Walkman cassette Bledsoe, producer, I'm falling in love, my Walkman and me, with David Bowie. Okay, fine, I could live with that one. Gavin and all the fictional Phillips personal cassette players on this show, we want to say, I had so many problems, but then I got me a Walkman, and they walked in and solved them. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow.